Let me tell you what this political movement is about. Jobs and growth for all Australians. Done jobs and growth. Have great jobs. Economic growth. Strong growth. More jobs. When they go low, we go high. So I'm seeing in my mind something very similar with this bill to a colonoscopy. Let me just stop you so you don't waste a line of questioning. I'm just giving you... I love the mansplaining. I would build a great wall, and nobody builds walls better than me, believe me. Please clap. Please clap. This is Represent. 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 On Sid Nation. I'm Julia. I'm Zizi. And I'm Ben. And today we'll be looking at the Australian Human Rights Commission report into sexual abuse on campus, uh, sexual abuse and um, and harassment on campus, rather. And we'll also be look, talking about that particular conversation um, between Trump and Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull. We'll, of course, have pop chat, and you can get involved in the discussion too. Just send us tweets to at SinRepresent or follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash SinRepresent. We're going to play a song first. This is Donna Summer with I Feel Love. You're listening to Represent on Sin Nation. to represent on Sin Nation. Um, so we w- will be discussing right now the recent um, Australian Human Rights Commission um, report into sexual abuse and harassment on campus. Um, but before we begin, if anything that we discuss brings up anything um, that you will need to speak to someone about, um, here are some important um, hotlines that you can call. 1-800-RESPECT, uh, which is one 800 737 732. Um, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Beyond Blue is 1300 224 636. And Suicide Callback Service is 1300 659 467. So, Zizi. Yes. So, on, <laughs> on August, the Australian Human Rights Commission released their extensive report on sexual abuse and harassment of students at university. They took a survey of 30,000 students across all 39 universities in Australia. And the results that they found are, while not surprising, are considerably concerning. Uh, They found that almost over half students currently attending universities in the past two years had experienced some form of sexual harassment. Uh, And I believe... Uh, 21% of those had experienced that harassment on a university campus. So, some really damning reports. Yeah, so this is on campus at an off-campus event which is organised or endorsed by university. 
university employment or technology-based harassment, including that. So it's not just on the school, but like at like university events, correct? Yes. Uh, any form of harassment that had a relation to the university, uh, they found that 20%, just over 20% of students had experienced some form of harassment. Um, yeah. And what were some of the characteristics of these kinds of harassment? So what we found, what they found was that students were very likely to have been harassed by just generally being made to feel uncomfortable uh, because of approaches in a sexual manner. Um, the most common form of harassment was inappropriate staring or leering while they're on campus or on their way to campus. There was also a high prevalence of sexually suggestive comments and jokes and intrusive questions about, you know, their physical appearance um, or private life. Um, that was the stats on just harassment. Um, when it comes to abuse, uh, sexual abuse on campus, uh, they found that uh, just above, up uh, just below 2% of the respondents had suffered some sort of sexual assault on campus and that obviously encompassed a wide range of inappropriate touching to actual rape so really concerning results um and basically uh, a lot of student unions have come out in response to the report and really condemned what they see as a really negative culture of uh, sexual assault and harassment um, a lot of people are looking at the report and talking about uh, the fact that a lot of the people who had reported sexual harassment and assault were women um, because women were more than three times as likely as men to have been sexually assaulted on campus. So mm. obviously there's a huge conversation happening not only in uh, universities but also the student unions and the student body itself. Yeah. Um, so what were some of the, I guess, like, of course, this has got to do with, like, cultural backgrounds at uni, so, like, you know, the university culture, culture around events. What were some of the, like, aspects that, you know, led to more, like, problematic behaviour? So I don't think the, the report wanted to make definitive statements on the causes of sexual harassment and abuse, but it did identify a lot of uh, cultural aspects that are specific to universities that contribute to a culture of sexual harassment. Um, a lot of the report talked about the fact that these are very young people who are experiencing independence for the first time and often are surrounded by alcohol in a lot of community events and that contributes to a lot of... Um, bad behaviour, I guess. Uh, but they also identified, you know, a general society, societal lack of uh, respect towards women. Uh, mm -hmm. So the stats of uh, harassment of women are not actually that disproportionate when compared to general Australian society. This is society in a... Little nutshell. In a nutshell. Well, in, in a very contained environment, a university is just reflective of our more general attitudes towards women. Uh, and the the report said that this contributes to a higher rate of abuse of women on campus, but also in society. Uh, they also identified alcohol, a lot of university events, um, and also residential colleges. Um, 
have a lot of alcohol and this contributes to a lot of people becoming assaulted or harassed um, due to impaired, uh, I guess, thinking on, on behalf of both people. Um, we also, there was some concerning reports of people abusing their power. So in the report, it identified a lot of university staff who yep. harassed or abused students. Uh, it also talked a lot about resident uh, people who are meant to be looking after other students, such as club and society leaderships, RAs, and other leaders. Um, and uh, university lecturers and tutors. Um, they also talked a lot about the culture of colleges. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, they weren't able to make a a series of recommendations for colleges because their their um, topic was sexual assault on universities and often colleges have a informal relationship to universities and therefore the report couldn't actually deal with sexual assault and harassment in colleges but it did a lot of the report did talk about you know a culture of abuse and harassment in resident in some residential colleges across Australia um, um, about residential colleges specifically like and I I have been aware that there are like some aspects about that particular environment such as lack of privacy shared shared facilities such as showers and um, you know even places like kitchens and stuff and and things like that is that like a, an important aspect? Yeah. So the report talk uh, had quite a few submissions from young people who had been harassed or abused on residential colleges. One of the stories that was in the report was about a young woman who noticed that someone was taking photos of her while she was in a bathroom uh, mm. in the uh, public shower. Yeah, but like um, within a cubicle. Within a cubicle. Yeah, yeah. It, she was in a closed environment, and someone had been. Uh, surreptitiously taking photos of her. Um, obviously, the colleges are have a concerning culture in many instances, but it's important to know that that wasn't the only place that people suffered abuse and harassment. I, I think the report did identify college students as being more likely to be abused, not only in, in their own residencies, but on university campuses. So obviously, college students represent a very vulnerable group in terms of harassment and abuse um but in in total i i think we shouldn't lose sight of the general university student i mean abuse and harassment doesn't just occur when you're living in a college it occurs you know for 50 percent of students yeah you know all the time not Absolutely. all the time but what were some of more of the more vulnerable groups? Because we've already touched on that women were much more likely, I think like twice, two times more likely than men to be abused. Um, but what other vulnerable groups were there um, that, were kind of, that were shown in the report? So the, the report did identify people who identified as LGBTQI as more likely to be abused than heterosexual um, individuals. Um, and this also tended to skew towards bisexual and asexual people as being the most likely to be harassed or abused on campus. Uh, 44% of students who identified as bisexual reported some form of um, sexual harassment uh, and 
and gay and lesbian and homosexual uh, students only identified 38%. This was still much higher than heterosexual students, where only 23% of them reported some harassment. Uh, But by far, you know, people who are in the queer community were more likely to be targeted for harassment and abuse on university campuses. Um, Where they also found that uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders were more likely to be a to have been assaulted, um, although the report was a bit uh, did identify the fact that there were less Indigenous and Aboriginal respondents that they couldn't make definitive reports. Although, if you look at the stats in the report, they do reflect a more general trend of higher rates of abuse and sexual harassment in that community than in the larger Australian society. So it, it's not surprising that we see. Uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders identified as a vulnerable group on campus. Um, Aside from that, I think a very interesting outcome of the report was actually the difference between domestic students and international students, where one in four domestic students, so persons born in Australia with citizenship, were had a likelihood of one in four of being sexually harassed at university whereas domestic students only uh, I mean international students only one in five reported sexual harassment and international students were also more likely to report their harassment than domestic students so there's a definitive like cultural element to this where Australian students are not wanting to report and are being harassed more and I think that's something very interesting to to keep be aware of. So you spoke to um the you spoke to the University of Melbourne. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Um, I'm Sue, so that's Monash. So not Monash, Melbourne University's the um, the student. University of Melbourne student union president. Yeah. Uh, I yes, I did have an interview with her, and she discussed um a lot about the underreporting of sexual abuse cases, which we'll go through yeah. um in this package. My name is Yan and I'm the president of the University of Melbourne Student Union. Mm-hmm. I guess I wasn't surprised. The results were horrible and they were shocking, but I think it's something that UMSU and student unions in general have kind of, we've had our suspicions about for a while and the results very much confirm those suspicions. What are the main policy goals of UMSU in light of the report? I can't say for sure. Um, we do know that we will be um, so we'll be releasing recommendations to the university after we are able to comb the report in de- in detail. The last time that I spoke to a university, they said that they were going to be implementing all nine, all of the recommendations in Australian made by the Australian Human Rights Commission that related directly to them, and that they would be supporting the ones that didn't relate directly to them. So um, I think that's really good and we are pushing for the student union to be involved in those conversations. Melbourne Uni specifically, 71% of students who responded had no idea about reporting mechanisms. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is? When I saw that statistic, that was absolutely not surprising to me. Um, I think the University of Melbourne specifically, it's very hard to find information about what reporting procedures are available to students. 
the university have their Safer Communities program, and that's something that they've been promoting quite heavily, I would say, to the exclusion of maybe other services that are available on campus, like our legal service. So what we've been doing recently is trying to get the word out there and really like let students know about our service. Do you think the student union had a responsibility to make this clear to students? We talk about 71% of students who have no idea yeah. about reporting. Those students are voting for you yeah. as your, their representative. Shouldn't you make sure that they know what their rights are? It is a problem. Um, everyone, whether that be individuals, student unions, colleges, sporting associations, we all have a responsibility to address this issue. And like I will admit, I think there is room for um, SUE to be improving its policies, procedures, um, all of that kind of stuff. And that is something that we will be doing in light of the results. It's It's an interesting situation because on one hand, we all have a responsibility. But on the other hand, like the university has this enormous power to make change and to change to change a culture of of you know sexual harassment and assault on campus to a to an extent that we as a student union and to an extent that students as individuals don't have. It doesn't seem like students are comfortable approaching their own representatives when these events happen. Shouldn't you guys be available? to the people who vote for you. And I think in the upcoming weeks, we will be having a look at why that is, whether that's that our services aren't promoted enough, whether we don't have enough information available on our websites. I guess at this point, like I acknowledge it's a problem. I'm not sure how to deal with it immediately, but that is something that we are going to be looking into. 21% of the sexual assaults occurred during a university event. Have you been in conversations with clubs and societies about this? This is once again something that we have been aware of. Our clubs and societies department have over the last year or so been working on how to make orientation camps and club events safer for students. We're going to be looking at the results of this survey and once again seeing where there are able to be improvements made on the trainings that we've already gotten because like I suspect that once again there is definitely room for improvement. So obviously there's a lot of changes that are about to come up, not only in universities, but in our student representative bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, make sure We'll make sure to keep an eye on those changes because obviously this report has raised a lot of very serious issues with, with people our age and university students. Um, obviously a very concerning report. Um, just a reminder, if you do need to seek help, um, you should contact 1-800-RESPECT, that's 1-800-737-732 for the National Sexual Assault Domestic Family Violence and Counselling Service or Lifeline on one three one 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 four. There are some other services out there and if you are experiencing any difficulties, please contact them. Um, we're also going to move on to... we. I had another interview with another um, UMSU representative uh, I talked to the disabilities officer. Um, dis- disabled students were also a very vulnerable group in terms of their likelihood to be sexually harassed and abused. Um, and obviously this is a very concerning statistic and something we should all be looking out for. Absolutely. Here it is. 
So I'm Cassandra Prigg. I'm one of the disabilities officers at the Student Union. As a disabilities officer, were you concerned about the, the statistics surrounding students with disabilities and the rates of sexual assault and harassment? Um, yeah, I think it's been a big concern for the union for a really long time. Um, it's nice to finally have the numbers to sort of back up our anecdotal evidence. It's about what we expected but at the same time it is really harrowing to sort of have those numbers down on paper. What is your main concern? What needs to be changed? The culture needs to change. I think that's, from from a personal perspective, that's definitely my main concern. Um, and that's not just about university, that's about society as a whole. We need to believe survivors, take them seriously and um, offer them the support that they need. In the disabilities department, I think in general we can really do better in terms of reaching out to people. The report talked about chronic underreporting <laughs> of assaults. What has UMSU done to address this? I can break this down into two parts. One of the, one of the things is that people don't want to um, report to the university and there's all sorts of issues around that. Um, in terms of reporting to us, of course people are, are welcome to always come and talk to us about issues that are facing them as students. But I think when it comes to the chronic underreporting, that's more um, a responsibility of the university um, and UMSU has certain specific concerns around why there has been that underreporting. Part of that is a, um, a whole sort of cultural issue around um, people not feeling like it's important enough, not feeling like they'll be, be believed but there's also specific issues around um, students not wanting to report to universities because they feel that their concerns won't be taken seriously. The union is distinct from the university, though. What steps has the union taken? The union's doing a whole bunch of stuff. One, hold the university to account, but also two, um, to make sure that we are sort of delivering best practice support for students who have gone through something like this. But we do have policies around reporting of things like this. And it, it has been an issue that's come up a lot in sort of meetings of office bearers as well as students council and so on so it's something that's very much at the forefront of our minds while we go about our work. Yeah so that was your interview with um, so that was Zizi speaking to um, the disabilities officer at UMSU. Very very interesting and was that at a vigil? Yes, so that was at the candlelight vigil that was held after the report was released. Uh, The UMSU organised an event and about, I would say, uh, 30 people showed up to show solidarity with those who had experienced sexual harassment or abuse on their campus. That was a beautiful lighting ceremony and we can publish some photos from that event. Uh, We also interviewed some other uh, people who attended and that will be coming up online as well stay tuned stay tuned uh follow us on the uh interwebs on the sin- <laughs> yeah on the interwebs um yeah so i guess we should finalize our little conversation on this on just the recommendations that the australian human rights commission released in order to try and fix the problem a lot of it talked about a change in leadership and governments among universities and university leaders i think in the packages that we just heard not only are we talking about 
the the grand behemoth of university bureaucracy, but we're also talking about our student representatives. So it's so important for you who are at university at the moment to make sure you're involved in the debate and that you talk to your representatives about addressing sexual violence on campus. And also, like, the fact is that everyone has, like, a role to play and everyone has a certain amount of power. Um, so if you are seeing that your friend needs help and, you know, they're scared but they want to seek out help, you know, help them out. Um, if you're among a group of friends and they're saying things that they really shouldn't be saying, speak up about it. Like, everyone has power and privilege that they can use to help everyone. And, again, to any survivors who are listening, it's not your fault um, and you deserve better. Mm. I think that's a great way to finish. Um, Mm -hmm. Just remember, if you are suffering, contact someone, talk to someone. People want to hear from you. People want to listen. And you're not alone. Yep, absolutely. We're going to go to a song. This is Lord with Green Light. You're listening to Represent on Sin Nation. I do my makeup in somebody else's car. We order different drinks at the same bars. I know about what you did and I want to scream the truth She thinks you love the beach, you're such a damn liar Well, those great whites, they have big teeth Well, they bite you, thought you said that you would always be in love But you're not in love no more did it frighten you how we kissed when we danced on the light of floor on the light of floor but i hear sounds in my mind brand new sounds in my there with green light you're listening to represent on sin nation um and we have a report coming up which we will be playing which is by uh represent reporter rachel ward about that conversation between malcolm turnbull and donald trump again such such (laughs) such an amazingly dramatic story that's come out this week Um, So here it is. We don't get to hear what gets said between world leaders when they're speaking privately, which is what makes these Trump tapes so shocking. The Washington Post has published groundbreaking leaks of the full transcript between President Donald Trump's conversations with Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull and Mexico's President Enrique Peña Nieto. It's too early to know what the full consequence of these leaks are going to be on international politics, so representatives looked into the emerging questions. So, first off the bat, how does Malcolm Turnbull come off? Turnbull sticks to government lines about immigration and refugees, saying Australia's policy is to stop the boats and cut off people smugglers. He says anyone who comes by boat, even if they're a Nobel Prize winner, can't be settled in Australia. To which Donald Trump replies, you're worse than I am. 
the game has changed. It's not just the fact that an American president's conversations have been leaked. We live in the age of WikiLeaks, so there's far more transparency and openness these days than there were in the past. That's ABC commentator and American politics watcher Tom Switzer. In retrospect, he probably should have let diplomatic underlings deal with this issue of the refugee matter rather than pushing it so assertively in a get acquaintance call with a new president who's just implemented an executive order that contradicts that refugee deal. Is there a refugee swap? There are two things you need to think about here. The first revelation is that the US was never required to accept Manus Island and Nauru refugees, despite Turnbull saying otherwise at the time. Professor Ken Coggle from Monash University and former Victorian Labor Party speaker says the Turnbull government said the Americans had to take Nauru and Manus refugees when they were speaking in public, which contradicts what he said to Trump. For Australia, it's uh, shown that what uh, the Prime Minister actually discussed with Donald Trump doesn't quite match up with uh, what he has previously said about that conversation because the very clear impression was given by the government that uh, uh, the Americans would be taking uh, at least a significant number of the refugees on Manus and Nauru. And it's now clear from this transcript that uh, there was never any undertaking by the Americans to do that. The second thing to think about here is something referred to as the agreement. Malcolm Turnbull says Australia is required to do a number of things for the US. They strongly deny that is accepting refugees from Central America in return for the US taking the refugees from Manus Island and Nauru. Does this damage the presidency as well as Trump? Russian diplomat Michael McFaul, who served during Obama's term, said the leaks damage more than Trump. It damages the presidency itself. Mr Coggle says these leaks are highly significant. Well, the, the tapes and, the, and more particularly the transcript is highly significant because it means that uh, there are people within the American administration undermining their own president and it means the president himself uh, cannot rely on those people uh, around him that work with him uh, and he can't, uh, can't have private conversations with other world leaders Uh, because of their apprehension that uh, a transcript might be published. Are these strategic leaks? Not all leaks are equal, and some experts say this is actually a highly calculated leak. Aidan Warren from RMIT University says he's never seen a leak like this before. We, we have seen leaks in terms of dossiers and memos, and of course there's been there was one a few years a few years back with Obama, you know, obviously being caught out on on, on having intelligence and and bugging sort of German officials and and German media, and I mean that goes on, and the revelations being revealed and leaked so so I suppose comprehensively word for word, not even just snippets or quotes, but just the whole transcript. David Frum, a former speechwriter for George W. Bush, who's now the political editor of The Atlantic, said that these leaks are designed to embarrass Trump rather than the other world leaders. Aidan Warren says these leaks will fundamentally change high-level diplomacy. But, I mean, this is really comes down to high-level, um, pure diplomacy at its finest. I mean, if you're 
trying to nut out deals often does come to a two-person conversation sometimes, you know, in terms of a security resolution, in terms of a, a deal, in terms of a trade deal, in terms of the, you know, if there's a, if there's a hold-up or some sort. Sometimes it does come down to two people really getting down on the phone to negotiate some sort of resolution. Um, in this case, we have two, pre- you know, a president and a prime minister and a president and a president. And what we have as a situation is, you know, these conversations are quite meant to be um, you don't, if you're the Australian Prime Minister or the Mexican President, you don't expect these revelations to come out in transcript format. So it's a big deal in terms of trust. Tom Switzer believes both Turnbull and Trump come out looking pretty okay, and he can't see it having any impact on the Australia-New Zealand-US alliance known as ANZUS. I think, I think in two days' time, people won't be talking about this. Um, because it doesn't shed any light on what we already knew from the story when the post broke it. One other thing I'd say is he never, it's clear from the transcript that Trump didn't hang up on Turnbull. When the story broke in February of this year, uh, the Washington Post reported that Trump hung up grumpily on Turnbull. Well, that's not clear from the transcript. Rachel Ward reporting for Represent. That was Rachel Ward speaking um, about that conversation between uh, Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull and President Donald Trump. You're listening to Represent on Sin Nation and again just the social medias. Um, you can tweet to us at Sin Represent or follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Sin Represent. So Ben, you've been following this um, this interesting story because it's again two leaks as well. It's not just with Malcolm Turnbull but also with the um, Mexican president. What are, what are some of the things that just jump at you? What makes this interesting to you? Well, the main thing that I first saw, saw with the Trump Turnbull leak was that President Trump didn't really understand the deal he was talking about mm. and was making accusations about the deal with its numbers without knowing the full detail behind it, whereas yeah. Prime Minister Turnbull was, had to repeatedly explain the deal and explain the numbers to him and Trump just wasn't really understanding what was the main point of the deal. Yeah. So would you say that, like, I mean, you know, Trump has been scrutinised quite a bit, um, you know, for basically not acting in a presidential manner, not doing things that normally presidents would do. Has this just, like, has this particularly proven anything that we didn't already think? That's the question I want to ask. Not really. Not that I think so. This phone call was on the 28th of January, so just a week over after the inauguration. So he was still a bit wet on his feet and new to the area, but still doesn't really excuse the fact that he didn't know what he was talking about and was underprepared for the conversations. Yeah. Um, did you also get? A, did you also look at the Mexican? I mean, I I haven't looked great in great detail about that. I've been so focused on. Malcolm Turnbull because just because it's at home, but did you have a look at that? I just had a quick glance of the Mexican one, and mainly that stood out to me was that Trump was basically asking the Mexican president to lie to his country, to his people about the war deal, and to get the president to to get the Mexican president to stop saying that they won't pay for the wall, and Trump was trying to say that the U.S. will pay for the wall, but don't let anyone else know about that. And so, yeah, that was a bit funny coming from what we've been hearing for the past 18 months about Mexico will pay for the wall, where in a private conversation to the Mexican president, Trump is like, disregard what I've said and we'll pay for it now. 
Yeah, that's really, really bizarre. And I think also there's been like just this whole discussion around leaks um, because, you know, I mean, we had Scaramucci who is now no longer with us in this um, capacity. (laughs) Um, That those 10 days, how to just like change your life in 10 days. Um, You know, he when when he um, ascended to that role that he is no longer um, holding, like, you can't write this. Aaron Sorkin no. couldn't write this. Like, like, nobody was expecting this to happen. <laughs> like, if you said two weeks ago, oh, s- um, someone called Scare Mitch is going to get fired from the White House, you'll be like, who's this? Who's, who's this? The- yeah. But it is interesting to note that when he did come, he was like, you know, we're going to get rid of this culture of leaking. We're going to get rid of the leakers. And I think that the whole notion of leaks are something that, you know, the president's a bit plagued by. I think um, Australians know that leaks come from a fractured cabinet. We have our experience of leaking in our own cabinets. And so when we see this in the American context, we can see this huge, uh, I guess one could say it's a cultural division within the Trump uh, circles. We have, you know, obviously Scaramucci was there for a while and he took a very um, aggressive stance towards uh, the... Uh, Breitbart, um, yeah, would have been Breitbart. Um, My Steve Bannon. Yeah, Steve, Steve Bannon. Bannon yes. Sorry, uh, yeah, it, he took a very aggressive stance against Steve Bannon and other members of his cabinet, and I think we're seeing leaks as just another signal of some really uh, strained tensions in the Trump camp. Uh, it's interesting to note that Attorney General uh, Jeff Sessions announced just today that the Justice Department is tripling the number of investigations into unauthorised leaks of classified information. And four people have been charged so far. So obviously Trump is trying to aggressively take down leakers, perhaps without addressing the reasons for leaking, Mm -hmm. uh, which is obviously a bitterly divided cabinet. We can assume. (laughs) We, We can't really read the mind of cabinet members, but from all reports... And from all indicators, it's not a happy time in the White House. Happy. Well, we're going to go for another song, but we will be back with Pop Chat. So stay tuned. This is Curtis Mayfield with Pusher Man. You're listening to Represent on Sin Nation. Mayfield there with Pusher Man. You're listening to represent on Sin Nation. And guess what time is it? Pop chat. Pop chat time. So uh, we have a lot of interesting, funny, weird, hilarious stories to talk about. And um, quite on cue as usual. We usually like to like hint things with the songs that we play before Pop Chat with Farmer Bro. Yes, Martin Shre- Shrell? Shrelly. 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 
Munchrelli. <laughs> oh, sorry, guys. Munchrelli has been convicted of securities fraud in the U.S. and faces a maximum sentence of 20 years in jail after being found guilty of securities fraud, conspiracy to commit securities fraud, and conspiracy to commit wire fraud. Now, to those of you who don't know Munchrelli, this might seem like a very uninteresting topic of white collar crime, but uh, he is a almost universally disliked figure in American uh, business culture. Um, Pretty much, yeah. He's And he's it's something that he's lived up. It's a bit like... I mean, actually, I'm just thinking about this particular photograph I saw on the internet um, of him and another internet villain um, or self-styled internet villain, Milo Yiannopoulos. So, like, you know, he's, he's also doing that self-styled, I'm a terrible person and I know it, and it's kind of like a cool thing um i know that he he tried to buy the wu-tang clang album that was like special and the one of the kind one yeah. of the kind and he's all like i'm gonna listen to it in my really really rich like mansion he successfully bought it and then refused to release it to the public yeah so obviously a uh, symbol of hatred he was that kid who didn't want to share things with you when you were in like kindergarten now basically shkreli kind of came to prominence a couple years ago when he marked up uh, the price of a antiretroviral drug in the u.s by five thousand percent upon buying his company causing a lot of people to lose access to this life-saving drug and that is what is currently being under investigation um, and the jury has just now found him guilty um, out of three out of eight counts of crimes that they tried. Um, yeah, this was slightly related to a hedge fund he was managing at the time and he fleeced a few dozen investors millions of dollars out of their money. Yeah, mm. it's big. It's, like, big. And it's it's something that, like, you know, it's... People have said very mean things about Martin Shkreli, which he's kind of taken, like, with it. Like, I know that people have said that he's got the most punchable face and all that kind of stuff. And, like, I think there's a certain level of schadenfreude because, you know, he marked up the price of a very important life-saving drug and, and all this. But I guess, like... I don't know. This is such a this is such a big like you know you wouldn't normally talk so much about like white collar crime. It's usually quite boring. It's like okay, this, these people got more money, mm. and and a lot of people are looking at the case and saying you know the people who lost money were just other rich people. This wasn't a crime that infected society. Um, I think that's a particularly weak argument, but that is perhaps just my opinion. I. Yeah, um, I remember when he first was first charged a couple of years ago for these wire fraud charges. Someone who actually lost money was an FBI investigator, and that's the main thing that actually started the investigation into his hedge fund and was a major support for these charges to be brought and convicted from those three. Mm. Mm. And I remember when he was... And again, it's like, I feel like it's a story that has been like... So much is related to his um, persona on the internet. We were actually trying to have a look before in the song um, for his Twitter account, which I think is gone because... Yes. Like, uh, his his Twitter feed was particularly notorious um, hmm. for basically riling up uh, 
some emotions from his followers and he was he was quite an amusing character of kind of like a great representative of stubborn capitalism and ego in America um I'm like, I remember the photos that they took of him once he was arrested um, three years ago related to this particular case. And, like, you know, everyone was talking about, like, oh, he doesn't look as, as like, you know, clean-cut, well-shaven now. He's all, like, he's in his, like, hoodie and he's looking all, like, sad and depressed. And, like, you know, it's all, it's actually, like, it just keeps him feeding into this kind of, you know, persona. It's interesting. Yeah, he, like, follows the writers that he embraces all the negatively around him. And instead of fighting it, he benefits from it because he just absorbs it into himself. Mm, yeah, it's like it goes, just everything goes back to like proving like, yeah, he's a hustler, he's like a serious guy and all that. And it's, yeah, it's interesting. We have all these characters now because of the internet who are, you know, like let's not go into the morals about it. Like, you know, some of these people have done things that have hurt people, but like that whole fact that you could create your own celebrity about being, you know, this farmer bro, this person who is, like, you know, not good. Someone who is, like, I know I'm bad. I know I'm a villain. But, like, just suck it up. It's interesting that that's a phenomenon. And I think that's also a bit like what Trump does a bit, to an extent, to some people. Maybe. I actually think the most interesting thing to come out of the trial is not... uh, his personality is actually what he's been tried for. So obviously we mentioned how he kind of came to notorious fame by marking up the price of a life-saving drug. That's not what he was on trial for. Uh, He was on trial for uh, defrauding investors. And I think that's something quite concerning that you can exorbitantly mark up desperately needed medical supplies and that is not why you get in trouble. It's interesting, (laughs) isn't it? Like, like, you know, I think it is that thing where you have someone who... It's in the public eye. We know that they're doing things that are bad, but it's like the small things that get them. Oh, it's, it wasn't well, a small, small thing. thing yeah. but it's usually the thing that major isn't, fraud isn't like isn't as well known. Isn't the thing that they're known it for, but it's that other crime. It's like a drug dealer being arrested for tax evasion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Exactly. It's like okay, you're a murderer, but you're on trial because, and we all know that you're a murderer, but you're on trial because you relate on your tax returns and stuff. Yeah, pretty like, much. Yeah. You know, a, like a traffic infringement. But yeah, there's been some interesting court cases throughout this week. Um, one thing that is really interesting, and again, we'll need to have a bit of a, um, again, lifeline is 13, 11, 14. Um, this case about um, involuntary manslaughter, which is super interesting. Um, I've been following it. It's in America. Um, a 20-year-old has been charged. She's going to go to jail for as for like three years for um, uh, for like up to three years because she um convinced her boyfriend to kill himself. So that is like really, really new um legal. So I guess like that's a new frontier in like prosecution because how do you prove that someone? kind of helped kill somebody if they weren't actually in the room and I think that is such an interesting case and if you haven't looked it up look it up because that's going to change so much things in like how people and like this could this can work with anti-bullying legislation and whole like you know cyberbullying and all of that 
in Australia, we do... Ha- obviously, that was an American was an case. American. So, in Australia, we do have the beginnings of uh, cyberbullying laws uh, and other bullying laws that have some sort of criminal liability. Uh, but I... I believe we're still a long way off mm. a manslaughter conviction based off text messages. Um, yeah. But obviously it's something to keep an eye on as this becomes a bigger factor, uh, especially when we're talking about young people being cyberbullied. Mm. Um, obviously, we should be, if you are suffering any problems, do contact someone. Uh, you can contact Lifeline on 131114 or Beyond Blue on one three hundred. 224-636 or the Suicide Callback Service on 1300-659-467 and also if we haven't already mentioned it 10 days I the mooch only lasted 10 days and he did the fandango and he left um what a again like that is that is wow yeah it just shows how the dysfunction in the White House where you have a senior official, the communications director, only there for 10 days. And you're just like, what's happening in there for something like this to happen? Remember when Australia was the dramatic country? Yes, our three <laughs> prime ministers in a year. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we've got nothing on America. And on that note, that is all we have time for this week on Represent, but you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. So Twitter is at SinRepresent and Facebook is facebook.com forward slash SinRepresent. We are back on the airwaves, same time as always, 3pm on a Saturday. Um, Tune in next week. We'll be talking about more interesting news. I'm Julia. I'm Ben. And I'm Zizi. And stay political. You're listening to Sin Nation.